So we come before you today and we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. The kindness of the Lord, the grace of our God in our salvation. And that we were saved not because of our own doing, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own abilities, not because of our own knowledge, not because we were better than anybody else. But Lord, we are saved by your mercy and grace alone. All the kindness of God has been poured out on us undeserving sinners. And Lord, we thank you that salvation is by grace, grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we come before you today and Lord, we once again confess our sins to you. We confess our sins of self-righteousness of any times that we've thought that we in and of ourselves offer anything to our salvation or anything to the, to the kingdom apart from the Spirit of God in our lives. Let us pray for our distractedness. Lord, that so oftentimes we are distracted with the stuff of life, with the stuff of this world, and we are unresponsive and unhearing to Your Spirit your Spirit's heart for the nations, for the Spirit's heart for the lost around us, for the Spirit's heart for people who are far from God like we once were. So Lord, even as we prayed this morning in song, Lord, I prayed that the Spirit of God would blaze in our hearts once again with white-hot burning passion for the lost. Lord, I pray that we would burn with passion for making disciples. Lord, that we would burn with a heart's desire to be disciples and bring people along to follow Jesus, to follow us as we follow Christ. Lord, I pray for that one. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would put one person in our lives. And may not know Jesus yet, and we can bring them to Christ, or perhaps may not know how to follow Jesus, and we can help them to follow Jesus more closely. Lord, do that. Use us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't just use a few, that you wouldn't just use the pastors, that you would use us all. Whether our gift is teaching a class or turning a wrench, Lord, I pray that you would use us to make disciples. Lord, I pray that we as a church would burn with passion for the Great Commission, both here in the Tri-Cities and around the world. May our hearts once again glow with white-hot passion for the things that you are passionate about. Break our hearts for the lost, we pray. Lord, I pray that you would once again awaken in our souls what is etched upon the tile in every entrance to, to every entrance to this building that we would be those with passion to make disciples. Lord, do that in our lives, we pray. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. 
Matthew 28 and verse 16. This morning I want to talk to you about Jesus is risen. Now what? Jesus is risen. What's next? Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, and we will read through verse 20. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love for us that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we consider this commission, this great commission, that you would see, help us to see ourselves as an, and this church as an outpost of the kingdom of God, an outpost of the kingdom of Christ with this singular prime directive, make disciples. So Lord, I pray that you would do that in our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the end can really be just the beginning. Sometimes the end can really be just the beginning. We began a journey together on December 9th, 2018. December 9th, 2018. I read the words from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And now here we are, 93 sermons later, (laughs) with a couple of breaks for a journey through the fruit of the Spirit. We went through the book of Ruth. We walked through a couple of other books, smaller books of the Bible. But here now we have arrived at the end of the book of Matthew. The end of the book of Matthew. And that time I've finished my PhD. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) We walk through a contentious election season together. We've had a global pandemic, a shutdown of society. If you look back in the history of the church, I think we will see this was one of the greatest crises that the church has ever faced, the pandemic of 2020 and beyond. And after 93 sermons and all of this, who knew when we were at the genealogy of Jesus Christ in December of 2018, what we would face in the following three years and four months? My goodness. I think if the Lord would have told us at that moment what we were about to endure in the next few years, it would have scared us to death. (laughs) But I have good news. We're still here. (laughs) And we still have a commission. 
And we still serve a Christ and a Savior who in this passage says He has all authority and since that day not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot on the I, not one cross on the T, not one breath of authority has somehow gone out of His power, but His power is eternal. And that same Jesus who is promised to us and who was born of a virgin, born under the law, born as a son of David and yet son of God, that same Jesus here in this passage calls us on a journey, calls us on a journey to the nations, calls us on a journey of discipleship who knew that we would face all of this in the last few years. We'd spent a long time in the last few years taking a long look at Jesus, his authority, his teaching, the way that he loved people, the way that he loved his father, the way that he loved us and gave himself for us, the way that he stretched out his arms on the cross and died for our sins. And the way that he rose in conquering power, Holy Spirit power, over the grave. And here as we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we are given a commission. We are giving marching orders. We are told to do something with the good news that Jesus saves. We are told to respond to this message. And we see the message of the Great Commission and the importance of the Great Commission now more clearly perhaps than ever before. Let me remind you of where we live. We live in Richland, Washington, or the Tri-Cities, Washington, and not all of us live in Richland. But we live in the Tri-Cities. And right here in the Tri-Cities, less than 10% of our neighbors are evangelical Christians. We live on the mission field. We live in an area that desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have a people who are passionate about this singular message that we sung today, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Not only that, but in our community, more than half of the people in our community claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. They're not necessarily atheistic. They're not necessarily anti-religion. They just don't think in those terms. Don't know. Don't care. Don't bother with that kind of stuff. That's most of the people in our community. And they need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need people who will shine brightly for Christ in this area. The harvest is plentiful. Think about the state that we live in, the state of Washington. The state of Washington is in the bottom 10 states in the United States in terms of evangelical Christians. Bottom 10 states. The only states that are less Christian than Washington are all in the Northeast. We're the least Christian state on the West Coast. We are the least Christian state in the Pacific Northwest. There is much work to be done right here in our backyard. The harvest is plentiful. We also live in a world full of sin. 
We live in a world of sin, of rebellion, of suffering and pain, in a world where three billion people die every, over three billion people, not die every day, but, but live in desperate poverty, many of them dying every single day. Three billion people living on less than two dollars per day. Hundreds of millions are starving and dying of preventable diseases. Do we care about this? And even more than that, of those people, there are over 2 billion people on the planet, 2 billion people in this world that do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that have never even once heard the gospel that Jesus saves. And so we live in a community that's lost. We live in a state that's lost. We live in a world that's lost. And we sit back and we ask, Jesus, what do you want us to do? I think it is crystal clear from the state of the world and from this passage exactly what it is that we are to be about as Christians. We are to be about making disciples. This has become even more clear in the last couple of years since December 9th, 2018. The needs today seem so much greater than they seemed then over the past couple of years of the pandemic. We see that the virus and also the response of society to the virus have left a horrible devastation of broken relationships, depression, fatigue, addictions to alcohol, addictions to drugs, internet pornography, marriages that are in shambles, relationships that are in shambles, people that were once friends are now enemies to one another, people that are isolated, people that are hurting, all of this right here in our community. So much so, just ask any counseling center in the community, and it, you might be able to get an appointment this fall to talk to a counselor. Those are the problems of our neighbors. Those are the issues that we even have right here in our church. We are called to make disciples. That is what we are to be about. And we aren't to be about that in a sort of somber way, but we are to be about that in a passionate way, a joyful way, because just as we sang earlier, we've got the answer. We, we've got the antidote. We have the cure. We have exactly what people need. They need Christ. They need Jesus. Jesus is the only answer to what ills our world today. This is not a time for less witnessing, less discipleship, less teaching, less training. This is time to go all in on the kingdom of God. This is a time to go all in on the kingdom of Christ. The time for pulling back and isolating is over. It is time to press in and press on on the mission of sharing Jesus and making disciples and teaching and training and getting out in the highways and the byways of the tri-cities and the world to share the gospel. Why? Because one of the things that we have seen over the past couple of years is the time is short and you may be in the hospital before you realize it and you better use the time that you have 
in this world. Because whether you're 55, 85, 45, or 25, you don't know how many days you have left. So friend, let's get after the gospel. Let's get after people. Let's use what we have. We are blessed, 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 blessed here at Richland Baptist Church to be here right now. Praise God for our church. Praise God for our people. Praise God for every single one of you. You're here for a purpose. Let us get on board with the gospel of Jesus Christ and take it to the world. Let's take it to the nations. Let's go after them. Let's go reach some for Jesus. Let's go be winsome for Jesus. Let's go get people for Jesus by all means. Means number one, let's get after VBS this summer. Let's get after it. Yeah, there may be some changes. Yeah, we're going to do it at nights. But you know what? We live in a community. Listen, we live in a community where the average home price is now over $400,000. Most people have to work, have two incomes to afford that. That means mamas aren't home to help during the day. (laughs) If you want young mamas to help, we better have it at night. And so guess what? We're going to have an evening, but that's okay because I've already heard from a lot of young people that are going to help. Praise God. But we don't just need younger folk to help. We need people who are experienced (laughs) that can help us young folk know how to do this thing. Amen? (laughs) Because we already made the mistakes. We need to get after it. We need to get after people with the gospel get after the children of our community they need jesus they don't know jesus they don't even heard of jesus they need the gospel they need christ they need jesus praise the lord let's get after him let's get after this let's get to praying be here that wednesday night the night that we have the national day of prayer we're going to pray for the six centers of power seven centers of power six or seven brother Seven, thank you. The seven centers of power of our country. One of them being the families. One of them being the church. One of them being the military. One of them being the government. We need to be praying for this nation. And as we pray, may God set our souls on fire for this nation. That we have the answer. The answer isn't a politician. It's not a political party. It's not all any of that. Without, if, even if we get all of that, if we don't get Jesus out on the streets, it's all for nothing we got to get Jesus out in this community. We've got it. Let's go and bring the gospel to this nation. I'm getting off my notes. <laughs> but that's okay. You get off the notes and get on the spirit. That's a good thing. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, what I want to do is I want to give you four aspects of the Great Commission. Four aspects of the Great Commission that I want us to consider together today. Four aspects of what Jesus is saying here to the church, not just then, but also today. Number one, four marching orders of the church. Number one, we will respond to the grace of Christ. We will respond to the grace of Christ. Before we get to the commission itself, I think it's important we don't skip over verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Eleven disciples. Eleven. Why eleven? Because I thought there were twelve. Well, there were twelve, but we remember that Judas has at this point already died. Judas has already killed himself. So now there are eleven. Matthias won't be at it until the book of Acts. 
And so here in this passage, we have 11 disciples. 11 disciples here in this passage. One less than 12, that's an imperfect number. And I think a good number to represent the imperfect people who were gathered there who received the Great Commission. The Great Commission wasn't given to perfect people. Wasn't given to Christians who had it all put together. Who was the Great Commission given to? Who were these once who is in this group that heard Jesus say, go and make disciples? These were ones who had promised faithfulness to Jesus. These were ones who said, Jesus, we will die with you. We will defend you to the death. And then as soon as the mob shows up, they're out. They flee. They run. Yes, Peter does follow at a distance for a little while, but when he's given the opportunity to own Christ, when he's given the opportunity to acknowledge that he indeed is a disciple, he denies Jesus three times, and in fact, the third time, he denies him by calling down curses on himself and on them for even daring ask the question. That is the kind of people who are gathered there in front of Jesus. Jesus suffered and died alone. Not one of his disciples was found to carry and help Jesus Jesus, Jesus carry his cross up to Golgotha. In fact, they had to bring somebody else in to carry up his cross. But Jesus at this moment is giving this commission to very imperfect people, people very much like us. And it's very interesting what Jesus says in verse 10. We didn't really talk about it much last week, but I want to point something out to you in verse 10, the grace of Jesus in verse 10. Jesus says in verse 10, do not be afraid. He's talking to the women. He's talking to the ladies who come to the tomb. He says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. Then they will see me there. The reason why the 11 are in Galilee to meet Jesus is because Jesus told them to be there. And notice what Jesus calls the disciples. The ones who left him, the ones who denied him, the ones who walked away from him, the ones who weren't there when he needed them most. He has risen again from the grave and Jesus calls them brothers. That's grace. That is good news. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says this, And the, for the one who sanctifies and, the one, and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He calls us brothers and sisters, family. Yes, indeed, those who walked away, those who rejected. In fact, even in verse 17 at the end of the verse, those who are struggling with doubt in that moment... Those who are strugglers, Jesus calls them brothers. Now the grace of Jesus here reaches its zenith when he calls them his brothers. Shows us that the Great Commission is not for super Christians only, as if there were any. It's not for people who have it all together. It's not for people who only have seminary degrees. It's not just for people who are good at leading a Bible study. It's not just for people who have been Christians for X number of years. No, the Great Commission is given to every disciple. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a calling to share the gospel and to live for Jesus right in the context in which we live. We are called 
to make disciples. You might feel unqualified. You might think I don't know enough. You might think I haven't grown enough. Well, keep learning, keep growing, keep going. But that does not excuse you. You are called to make disciples. You might say, well, I struggled. That's okay. So did these guys. It's okay. We are all called, every single one of us, with our specific gift, with our specific calling, to make disciples. Think about what you were when you were called. You were not called because of your own obedience. You were not called because of your own knowledge. You were not, not called because of your lack of knowledge or any kind of ability. You were called by grace alone and commissioned by grace alone as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 29 says this. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. <laughs> so if you feel like, I'm just not good enough, guess what? You're exactly the right person that can fulfill the great commission. Why? Because you are the kind of person that desperately knows your need for Jesus to do anything. You desperately understand your need for the Holy Spirit for anything of eternal significance to happen in your life. And that is a good place to be in because at that point you're empty of yourself and you can be then filled with Jesus. Filled with with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, which is exactly what is needed in order to fulfill this great commission. Your inabilities don't disqualify you. Your failures don't disqualify you. And your doubt doesn't disqualify you either. There at the end of verse 17, he says, when they saw him, they worshiped proper response to the risen Christ, proper response to God. Right there, we see Jesus is God. Only God should be worshiped, so Jesus is God. But at the end of verse 17, but some doubted. A better translation of that, could be hesitated some hesitated why did they doubt why did they hesitate it wasn't jesus it was likely them imperfect disciples struggling disciples hesitating disciples and yet even those still given the great commission go and make disciples exactly the kind of people who are gathered right here in this room today Exactly the kind of people that Richland Baptist Church is made up of. We are the kind of disciples that Jesus calls to go and make disciples, to spread his fame to the ends of the tri-cities and to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. These are ones who doubted whether Jesus could ever even use them. Perhaps people like you, perhaps people like me. Otherwise, Dana Ortland said in his follow-up book to the book that we gave out at Christmas, he says the following, he says, the only alternative to the real Jesus is to get back on the treadmill. The treadmill of doing your best to honor and follow Jesus, to follow and honor Jesus, but believing his mercy and grace to be a stockpile gradually depleted by your failures. I think that is a very common feeling in this generation. A common feeling about how God understands you and feels about you in this generation, in this world in which we live in. That somehow his mercy and grace is a stockpile gradually depleted by your failures and you're hoping to make it death to death before the mountain of mercy runs out. Here is the teaching of the Bible. If you are in Christ, 
Your sins cause that stockpile to grow all the more. Where sins abound, his grace superabounds. Praise the Lord. It is in your pockets of deepest shame and regret that his heart dwells and won't leave. That is good news of our Savior. Now we could also say, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What's the answer? By no means, right? So we want to grow in Christ, of course. But don't think that you are somehow disqualified because of your inability or because of your sinfulness or because of your lack of progression, any of these things. No, press on. Press on in the grace of our God. The Great Commission is to make disciples and it is for every single believer. So we will respond to the grace of Christ. Number two, we will believe in the authority of Christ. We will believe in the authority of Christ. Jesus says in the, in the preamble to the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So of the one who says, all, I have all authority, and it's true, and we know Jesus is saying it, so it is true. He has all authority. Whatever he says next, we have a responsibility to do. <laughs> right? If somebody has authority over us, then if they say something to us, then we have the responsibility to obey what it is that they say. Here, the one with the, of course, we know in the human sphere, unless they go against the higher authority of God. But here we have the highest authority in the nation. We have the highest authority in the world. We have the highest authority in the solar system. Yes, even the galaxy, even the universe, even beyond the universe, even to the multiverse, if it exists. We have, <laughs> we have the one who has the highest authority. If there is an authority, he's got it. And he's going to say something to us. And so therefore, we respond. We believe in the authority of Jesus. This is a theme that has come over and over and over again here in the book of Matthew. It's an echo from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14 says this. He was given a, a dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus has all authority. That could be a title of the book of Matthew, a subtitle of the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, Jesus has all authority. We've been seeing it over and over and over and over and over again as we've walked through the book of Matthew. Jesus has authority over nature and the nations. Jesus has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority over sin. He has authority over the grave. He has authority over our lives. He has authority over every other life. He has authority over every human government, every human institution, everything. Jesus has the authority. He has the authority over every single molecule of the universe. He has the authority over every virus. He has the authority over everything, every time, every era. Every Jesus has all authority. You put it in there, Jesus has authority over that. 
We think about the book of Matthew. It's about the authority of Jesus Christ. The theme of Jesus as king comes over again and again and again. It begins with that genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. He begins with the kingship of Jesus. Jesus indeed is king in the line of David. We saw the Magi coming to seek the one who has been born king of the Jews. Satan tempted Jesus by saying, look, set yourself up as king. Set yourself up as rule. I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world. Jesus has said later on, his kingdom is not of this world. The Romans crucified Jesus as king of the Jews, and now he is presented as the ultimate king, the sovereign king, the overall king, the king with all authority in heaven and on earth. When you came to Christ, you didn't make Jesus king. When you came to Christ, you didn't make Jesus as Lord. He was already Lord. He's already King. You just quit rebelling against Him and started to recognize His rightful rule over your life. He is King. He is Lord. He is Sovereign. He is Ruler. He has the right to decide how we order our lives. And because of that sovereignty, because of that reality, because of that good news reality, think about that. When we think about Jesus having all authority, that's not some kind of bad news that he's cramping my style. No, this is good news. (laughs) Because any other one who had authority would be a messed up authority. We got enough of those, amen? (laughs) We got enough messed up authorities. But Jesus is the one authority that is perfect in all of his thoughts, all of his ways, all of his actions, all of his desires, all of his desires for you. It's perfect in all of his ways. And this one has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we not only submit to his authority, but we glad-heartedly submit to his authority. There's a whole bit of, bunch of difference between begrudgingly submitting to authority and glad-heartedly submitting to authority. I remember when I was a kid, if mama told me to do something, and I did it, I mm, won't do it, I don't like it. <laughs> you ever hear of the mother's curse? I hope your kids act the same way. <laughs> <laughs> No, we won't go there. (laughs) I'll do it. I don't like it. Oh my goodness. Is that honoring mom and dad? Of course not. You know, sometimes we do that to Jesus, don't we? We do that to our Heavenly Father, don't we? I don't do it. No, this is a, He has all authority. And so we should have a glad-hearted submission and obedience to His authority. Let's just be real. Over the last couple of years, that's been a struggle that many of us have had. Or let's say at least one of us have had. <laughs> there is times in the last year, oh, do it, oh. And you get that. Anybody, ever, anybody else had that problem the last couple of years? Okay, thank you. <laughs> There's some others here as well. I told you when I first came, the very first series we did uh, was through the book of Philippians. Philippians 1, 6. You began a good work would be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. So I said over my office door, hang a diamond yellow sign that says under construction, right? (laughs) Still true. (laughs) 
But you know what? That's one of the things the Lord's been working on. My own heart and life is attitude towards, really, ultimately, Him. Attitude towards Him. Am I glad-heartedly serving the King, even in the midst of trial? That's one of the reasons why, starting next week, we're going to do a four-week series on suffering. Suffering well for the glory of Jesus. So come next week. But here... We gladly submit. We believe in the authority of Jesus, and we gladly submit to his authority. Number three, we will obey the command of Christ. All right, let's get into the Great Commission itself. We will obey the command of Christ. Verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. If you look at the original language in this text, there is only one command with three participles unpacking what that command should look like in our lives. The command is make disciples. Make disciples. The only thing in the imperative mood, the command mood in this passage is make disciples. Everything else tells you how to go about it. Going, baptizing, and teaching. What is discipleship? Discipleship is intentionally entering into relationships to help people know and follow Jesus. That's discipleship. Discipleship is intentionally entering into relationships to help people know and follow Jesus Christ. That is, we see Jesus, that's what Jesus did. Hey, follow me. And they followed him for three years. They watched the way he lived. They watched the way he acted. He taught them. He loved them. He, they watched him as he loved others. And now he's saying, do that. <laughs> now he's saying, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So we are to be people who are passionate about making disciples, finding somebody in our lives that we can help grow to follow Jesus more. As we also grow and follow Jesus more, it's a collaborative effort in our lives. How are we to do this? We are to do this by going, baptizing, and teaching. He says, go. Actually, go is not really in the command form. It's really in a participle form. So you can say, as you are going, as you are being sent out, as you are headed out around the world, go and make disciples. And so the word go is how we do this. We go. Now, this can be over-interpreted or under-interpreted. It can be over-interpreted and say that the only place, the only thing Jesus is talking about is moving to another nation and being a missionary. Now, he is talking about that, but that is interpreting it too far in one direction. We are, yes, indeed, we are to send people. I pray that there are people who do respond to the preaching of the word at Richland Baptist Church, even as they already have, and give their lives to global missions. We've seen that in our church. We have missionaries that they, uh, through our agency that do serve and who once were part of our church. But we pray that that continues to happen. But it's not just them that fulfill the Great Commission. It's as you are going also in your daily lives, as you're going to work, as you're going to your neighborhood, going to your neighborhood, as you're walking your dog, as you go to school, as you go throughout life, as you go to your family, as you are going spend time building intentional relationships right where you are for the purpose of helping people to know and follow Jesus. That's what we are to build our lives upon. That's where we are to build our lives around is this good news that we can share with others. 
I love what Dawson Trotman says in his little pamphlet, Born to Reproduce, I commend this to you. If you've never written or read Dawson Trotman, read Dawson Trotman. It will, it will impact your life. <clears throat> he says the following. He says, the curse of today is that we are too busy. I'm not talking about being busy earning money to buy food. I'm talking about being too busy doing Christian things. We have spiritual activity with little productivity. And so we as the people of God need to be considering productivity when it comes to our lives. Are we doing things intentionally? Now, we could be unproductive and inactive. That's a different mistake. But we need to press into productivity in investing our lives in somebody who we can help to grow to be more like Jesus. That is where we are headed in the days ahead as a church. We want to be people who are making disciples. Too busy to make disciples is too busy. We are to go here. We are to go around the world. Go. How do you need to go? Let me encourage you. Find your one. Application of this sermon. Everybody hold up one finger. I want you to pray that God would send you to one person. Start there. Start with one. God, send me my man. God, send me my woman that I can invest in for the sake of the kingdom that I can help them to grow in Christ. Maybe they're already a Christian. I can help them to grow in Christ. Send me that one. Send me that one. Make that a passion of my life. God, give me one. Give me one. Can I just have one person that I can influence to be closer to Jesus? Pray for that one. They might be younger than you. They might be older than you, but they're just a few steps behind you in their faith. Help them to follow Jesus. Show them what it means to follow Christ. Pray for that one. Pray for that one every day and ask God, send me that one. Give me eyes to see. Maybe they're not even a Christian. Maybe you share the gospel with them and they're saved. Pray for that one. Start there. I remember when I was in college and I followed the same, the same counsel. Pray for your one. I prayed for my one and God sent me one. And then God sent me another. And God sent me another. And throughout life, it's been one after another. It hadn't been whole large groups of, in, of big disciples, but it's been one at a time, one influence at a time, one breakfast at a time, one hiking trip at a time, one fishing trip at a time, one at a time, spending life with somebody, sharing the gospel, helping them grow and follow Jesus. Who is your one? Who will you invite? to be your one. Pray for that one. The second word that we see here, we are to be going. Second, we are to be baptizing. We are to be baptizing. That's the initiation right into the church. It's recognizing, marking out those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, go and make disciples by baptizing them. There's no nothing in the New Testament that would lead you to believe that there is such a thing as an unbaptized Christian. What do I mean by that? If you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, your first act of obedience to the one who has all authority is to be baptized. Oh, Jesus, you saved my soul. Okay, what do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to be baptized. Oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, you can see the problem there. 
Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That implies evangelism. We reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, and once they trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we baptize them. We baptize them. That encourages us to be about evangelism. I encourage you once again, be involved in VBS this summer. Be involved in evangelism in the park this summer. Be involved when we start doing pray and go in the neighborhoods, praying through our streets this summer pray be involved let's get out there and share jesus go and baptize that implies that you should be baptized if you've never trusted in jesus christ as savior and lord or if you have trusted in jesus christ as savior and lord if you've trusted in christ as savior and lord have never followed him in believer's baptism i encourage you be baptized follow the lord jesus do it with joy do it with gladness you know it's hard you know i know it's hard because, you know, when I was baptized, when I was nine years old, I got wet. Because I was at camp, I saw a bunch of people headed to the pool, and I asked, where are you going? And they said, we're going to the pool, get baptized. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I didn't believe. I wasn't yet a Christian. But I got in line, and I got dunked. <laughs> but I had nobody ask any questions. But I got in line, I got in the pool, the pastor said some words, and I got wet. I didn't trust in Christ until I was about 14, I was 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. Now, when did I decide, when did I finally come to the realization, wake up, hey, the order was out of line. I was four years into my pastorate <laughs> at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Purcell, Oklahoma, and I realized I actually trusted in Christ after I was baptized, after I got wet in the pool. So I preached on baptism one Sunday and said, I need to respond to the message. I was in my 30s. I know how hard that can be. <laughs> so don't tell me I'm too old. People might think, whatever. Yeah, I could have lost my job. <laughs> If you've never been baptized or follow Christ in baptism, your response needs to be to get baptized next Sunday. And as you get your life going in Jesus' direction, watch God move your life. Watch God direct your life in this world. Baptism. Jesus says to be baptizing. And then finally, Jesus says to be teaching. Jesus says teaching. The third word there is teaching. So going, baptizing, teaching. That is how we are to make disciples. One of the things I think we need to grow into more as a church is more teaching, more training, more training with intentionality. Here's some of the marching orders for the future. I think of the past, we had classes just because we were supposed to have meetings and classes. I think one of the things we need to do this fall as we're thinking towards the fall and building towards this fall is I think we need to get back going on teaching, back going on having more discipleship training, back going having more discipleship-oriented classes, training, but do it with intentionality. What is it that we want you to know? <laughs> What is it that we think a disciple needs to know in order to grow? Not just, not just picking randomly classes, but actually thinking through a curriculum of here is a plan, here is a pathway, here is what you need to know theologically, practically, historically, emotionally, spiritually, 
so that way we develop fully orbed disciples of Jesus Christ and all the aspects of teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, that we unpack that and plan that out for the church. So be praying for us as we plan this for the fall, as we get ready to go all in on this commission. All of this takes intentionality in order to do this. Finally, number four is this. We will depend upon the presence of Christ. We will depend upon the presence of Christ. Everything I said this morning should absolutely terrify you and make you think this is impossible for me to do. And you are right. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) To be given an impossible message and it's like, yeah, you can't do it. On your own, you can't do it. But that's why the last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, that's good news. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will not give you a, he will give you a commission you can't do on your own, but he will give you a commission that will drive you towards deeper dependence, glorious glad-hearted dependence on Jesus more than ever before. If you want to grow in your knowledge of Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, your dependence upon the presence of Jesus, and your very much feeling and knowing the presence of Jesus in your life, get on board with the Great Commission. That is where you will know the presence of Jesus most deeply is when you are on mission, making disciples, with the presence of Jesus filling you and empowering you every single day. The book of Matthew ends with the presence of Jesus. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And do you know what? That's exactly what we began with in December of 2018. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, see the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Praise the Lord. Sometimes the end is just the beginning. Let's spend a moment in silence together as we meditate on these things, asking God, what should be my response? Maybe even pray right now, God, send me that one. Send me that one. Maybe you already know that one. Pray for that one. Ask God to work in it. You need to be baptized. Say, God, I want to respond to what you told me to do today. Do that today. Make your response today. Let's spend a moment of silence. Do business with the Lord, and then let's do business with the Lord together as we respond. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just be hearers of the word only, but help us to be doers of the word. Father, I pray that you would help us to engage in the Great Commission, engage in making disciples, help our church to re-engage in all forms in order to make disciples, to go out in this community, to reach people for Christ, to baptize new believers, to teach them to obey everything that you have said. Help us to be intentional and passionate and creative. 
And Lord, I pray that you'd help more and more and more of our people engage in the mission in our neighborhoods, in our, church, in our, in our community, in our workplace, our schools, everywhere. Let us be about the Great Commission. Lord, work in our hearts and lives today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.